0: If you would, take your copies of Scripture, if you have one with you, turn it to Colossians 1. It's the third sermon of Colossians series. One beginning of the year, one a couple of months back. As we've been going through Colossians, we've seen how Paul has encouraged the Colossian church with the gospel. He's reminded them over and over again of the power of the gospel. And today is no different we look at colossians 1 24 through chapter 2 verse 5 uh, we will see the same themes running through this passage if you don't have a bible with you, you can also look in the bulletin uh, the text is printed there as well here as i read god's word to you this morning now i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh i am filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions Thus far, the reading of God's word, his word is active, living. These are God's words to us this morning. Let's meditate upon them and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, as we come to hear the word that you have spoken through your apostle Paul, as we come to place ourselves under it as students of your word, as those who hang on your every word for our very life. We ask that you would use this word this morning to encourage us, to support us in our weakness, to show us your goodness to us in the midst of trials and tribulations in this life. That we may glory in our Savior, we may have a hope for all eternity. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's the claim of philosophers Friedrich Nietzsche and Kelly Clarkson. You may be more familiar with the song version of that aphorism, but when Nietzsche coined that phrase, in German of course, he was talking about general suffering, the general suffering of mankind. For Nietzsche, suffering exists to make you better. It exists to be the contrast to allow you to see beauty. It exists to make you stronger. But while these all may be somewhat true, they are short-sighted. Why get stronger if all that comes are greater foes? What beauty is worth the pain? And what happens when inevitably we face suffering that is too great? Suffering that is stronger than us, pain that is beyond our threshold and even the greatest foe death there has been no suffering in all the history of mankind that has bolstered man enough to finally escape the sum total in Nietzsche's philosophical equation is still null or zero but the sum total for Paul his equation is not zero in fact, the value that Paul gives suffering in Christ is of infinite value. Here in this passage, Paul teaches us through his own experience that because we are in Christ, our grief contains the hope of glory, and we can proclaim Christ through our suffering, which will produce treasures in us and in others. Let me say that again. In Christ, our grief contains a hope of glory, and we can proclaim Christ Through our suffering, which will produce treasures in us and in others. See all those things in three points today. First, the grief is not wasted. Second, the hope of glory. And third, the realities of suffering. So, as we dive into this passage, let's look at those things today as Paul gives this example from his own life to encourage the church. So, first, how does Paul assure us that our grief is not wasted? Well, Paul begins in verse 24 by rejoicing. A little bit odd here. Not in anything that we would normally find value in or excitement in. Paul instead is rejoicing because of his suffering. Paul is in prison, he's uncomfortable, he's endured many trials, both from the hands of man but also from God's divine providence. And now he's waiting for judgment and possibly death. Others, were they in his place, might have been discouraged or distraught, feeling as if God had abandoned them. Indeed, those that were opposed to Paul, his adversaries, saw his imprisonment as a proof that God had rejected Paul. But Paul rejoiced. And Paul rejoiced for two reasons. One, that his suffering was being used by God to bear witness to the gospel. And two, that his suffering was connected to Christ. And in these two ways, Paul teaches us this morning that our suffering is not wasted. Paul says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. When you read that that phrase that Paul was filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions, you have to pause a minute. It takes uh, some time to think through that phrase. What does Paul mean saying that he's been filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Were there somehow a deficiency in Christ's afflictions? Were they somehow lacking? This is one of those verses in Scripture that many people have debated and spent many hours on, much ink, to tease out the intricacies of Paul's words. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, the work of salvation was complete. Jesus came to accomplish salvation, and in his death, he made the full propitiation or payment for our sin. Yet what Paul talks about here is also true. Paul's suffering for the gospel is for the sake of Jesus' work in the Gentiles. In the next verse, Paul talks about the stewardship that he was given from God. He bears the truth of the gospel to those who have not yet heard or believed. Paul knew from the beginning of his ministry that he would undergo much suffering on account of the gospel. He would undergo many trials and tribulations. His mission to take the good news of salvation to the Gentiles would be full of grief. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4, where he says, You yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass. And also in Philippians 1:12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. While the work of salvation is complete in Christ alone, God uses the afflictions of his people to advance the spread of the gospel. Paul says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. There's a divine mystery about how our afflictions are tied to Christ, how our struggle in this life is empowered through the working of God's Spirit within our weakness. Paul shows that our suffering on account of the gospel is so precious in God's sight, so dear to God. That he accounts those afflictions to Jesus not that Jesus takes the credit for what we've done no rather Jesus invites us into his work what he has done he bears with us and empowers us especially as we suffer for the gospel and as Jesus shares in our suffering we will share in his reward that leads us to the next point the hope of glory. Paul has talked a lot about the gospel in this opening chapter of Colossians, but he's not done talking about it yet. Paul reminds the Colossians that this gospel that has been so vital to their hope and their life and their faith has not always been so clear nor readily available to all. He says in verses 25 and 26, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. In verse 27, Paul elaborates again about this gospel. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Paul was writing to the Colossians, these people who were mostly Gentiles. And what he's talking about here is this new era where God is bringing in the nations, the Gentiles, into his people. He's bringing in all the nations into his people to make them his own. This gospel is now applied to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So what does the, the substance of this mystery look like paul says it is christ in you this is the mystery that christ is in you working in you refining you so that you might be worthy heirs of his kingdom if christ is in you then you have a hope of glory this hope of glory isn't that you'll gain riches or power." Or fame but that because you are united with Christ in his death you are also united with him in his resurrection and eternal glory this eternal glory is beyond anything that this world could offer we want to see Christ working in us and in those around us because if we see Jesus in us and in those around us then we have an eternal hope Of glory. We are pre-glorious people. We are predestined for glory. It's like a prince who is destined to be king. Not yet, but one day. We are not yet fully glorious, but that is certainly who we will be one day. And day by day, God works in us to sanctify us, to conform us to his image, to make us Holy. How should that influence our perception of others then? Should it not cause us to proclaim Jesus just as Paul says here, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ? Paul's scope here is universal. It starts with a warning. All Are without hope save in the gospel Jesus is the only way to be saved from the curse of sin and death are you trusting in him alone for your salvation there are so many different schemes in our world so many different ways to be saved but they all fall short because they're all based in man's ability They say if you try hard enough, you will find satisfaction and peace in your own way. But no one can avoid the brokenness of this world. You can't buy your way out of worry. You have to trust in the one who says you could never make it on your own. You must trust in me alone. You must trust in Jesus. Warning then leads to wise teaching. We must all grow in understanding and faith. Friends, God does not love, let his beloved children linger in their foolishness and their sin, but he teaches them to be wise. Much of what we do here at church outside of Sunday morning is, is centered around this teaching and training and building up of one another. Whether Bible studies, community groups, youth group, or just fellowship, it all centers around teaching Christ In all his wisdom and that wisdom then leads to complete maturity in Christ the fullness of maturity this maturity isn't just wisdom and uh, stature in the sight of man but rather is another way to describe what we've already seen this hope of glory this, this glorious future and for this Paul says I toil it's exhausting work to suffer, to bear many trials and tribulations for the work of the gospel. It's impossible to do in our own strength. We must rely on the power that God has given us, that we receive through Christ. If we could not see the hope of glory waiting for us at the finish line, I think it would be impossible. And a lot of that has to do with how difficult how severe our suffering is. Our suffering can be detrimental. It can be deep, it can be hard. The trials of this life can be overwhelming. So now that we've seen that our grief is not wasted, that we have a hope of glory to come, let's look at the realities of suffering, both negative and positive. What I want us to see this morning from our final point is fairly simple in theory, but can be challenging to live out. Suffering can produce in us the deepest of despair. But in Christ, it can also produce in us the deepest of faith. Again, let's look at Paul's own example to understand this better. Uh, He begins there, chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 5, and this is what he says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In these verses, Paul wants to show the reality of his suffering on behalf of the church for the purpose of encouraging them and giving them deep assurance in this life Paul knows the deep and dark realities of suffering in this world. He mentions in 2 Corinthians 11 that he was often imprisoned, received countless beatings, and was often near death. And yet he tells of his suffering here to the Colossians to encourage the saints. Because he knows that many will try to deceive, to persuade the church with plausible arguments. Paul doesn't say what those plausible arguments are here. Perhaps they are many, far too many to describe. But I think that we find many of those plausible arguments in our own world today. These are a few that I have encountered and even wrestled with. If God really was good, he wouldn't put you through this. You have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Or nothing matters, just give up. Sometimes these arguments come from the culture. Sometimes they're whispers in our own minds. They seem plausible because they appeal to our pride and our shame. They delude our minds with disbelief. How can there be any hope of glory? Hope is an unfounded belief in what is impossible. But while these arguments try to tear down a sincere faith, they are themselves devoid of any good thing. They cannot fulfill what they promise. Nothing that I could produce in my own strength would ever satisfy my soul, nor could my own will hold up under the darkness of affliction. It's foolishness to trade the unbreakable promises of God for what I already know to be broken. To our world, suffering is weakness and shame, but God purposes our affliction to show that he is the answer to our weakness and the cure to our shame. That's why Paul is able to confess his weakness in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is, The realities of suffering in a broken world are that we will be weak, that we will experience many calamities in this world, yet there are other realities too. When life tears away our idols and our pride, there remains Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Paul says here. Jesus said in John 16, I am in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And as Jesus bears with us and gives us power, we struggle on, but not in vain. Jesus works knowledge in our minds that cannot be undermined. He works wisdom in our hearts that draw us back to him. It might surprise you, That though your faith may seem weak now, it has the strength to uphold you in the darkest of nights, because God is in it. That is the reality of our suffering. You can never truly be overcome because Christ is in you, and he has overcome the world. In him is the hope of glory. In him, your grief is not wasted. To close, sometimes we wonder at our faith. Can it hold up? Del Tackett in the Truth Project puts it this way. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? He goes on to say, if I really believe that when I went before God in prayer, That I was really walking into the throne room and God was leaning forward with his arms out and says, Come closer, let's talk. If I really believed that, I wouldn't have trouble praying. I'd have trouble getting up and leaving. Perhaps we doubt more than we believe. When darkness blots out the light, it can be hard to see our way. Perhaps. Our doubt is stronger than our faith. But our doubt is never stronger than Jesus' faithfulness. It is never stronger than Jesus' promises. And one day, when our hope of glory becomes our sight, we will not have to get up and leave. We will get to remain in the presence of our Father for all eternity. Our weak faith will become sight, and we will see him face to face. So until then, hold fast to Jesus as he holds fast to you. The hope of glory that he gives you will be in your heart. Let God work through your suffering to display the hope that you, you have to all of those around you. And seek out those treasures which Jesus holds for you, both in knowledge and wisdom and his very presence. He will hold you. He will hold you fast. Let's pray. O great Heavenly Father, we ask that you would hold us. You would hold us by your power and that when our Faith is weak when we are blinded by the darkness so that we can barely see anything around us. Father, be our light, be our strength, guide us as we continue on. As you call us to display in our weakness, your strength, we pray that we would be willing We pray that we would be intentional. We pray that you would be glorified through us. Hold us fast, O great God, and bring us to that hope of glory where one day we will see you face to face. And in the meantime, let us be your light in a dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.